Hello, I'm Kathy. And I'm Gary. And this is Torah Talk. Welcome to Torah Talk, the intersection of the mundane and the miraculous. Here we have bold conversations about faith, culture, and politics, and where we fit into God's plans in the 21st century. If you could partner with God, would you? Every year at this time, Christians around the world hear the prophetic words of Isaiah, brilliantly put to music by composer Friedrich Handel in 1741. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. That's Isaiah 9.5. Today, we want to look at the prophetic declaration, the government shall be upon his shoulders. What exactly does this mean? Christians rightly attribute this prophecy to Yeshua, Jesus, the child born in Bethlehem, the designated Messiah. But have we lost the real meaning? Which government is being talked about? Is it real or metaphorical? Where is it located, in heaven or on earth? And even more, are we seeing the establishment of a global anti-God government on earth? After this, let's talk about God's government and let's talk Torah. For over 25 years, Ezra International has been helping the poorest of the poor Jewish people escape poverty and persecution. In fact, almost 80,000 Jewish people have now returned to Israel with our help. The average cost to rescue one Jewish person is $360. Your gift of just $30 a month over one year can help return a Jewish person to Israel and restore their hope for a better future. Please go to EzraInternational.org and give your best gift today. Well, hello, Gary. Hey, Kathy. (laughs) Good Uh, to see you. Yes, good to see you. So we have a season coming upon us, and most people would say we have the Christmas season, which is absolutely true. It is the Christmas season, but for us, it's also the Hanukkah season, season. isn't it? Very soon, yes. (laughs) Exactly. You know, we talk about how, how we... And, and many people listening to this podcast grew up celebrating Christmas. Sure. That's what we did, you know? No doubt. We have lots of memories. I have lots of great memories about Christmas. But as we've come to know the truth, we have had to discard much of what we knew. I'm putting air quotes around that right. in the audience. The things that we knew to be true. And, you know, it reminds me, this is one of my favorite quotes from Ronald Ronald Reagan. Let's see if I can say that. (laughs) He said, it isn't so much that liberals are ignorant. It's just that they know so many things that aren't so, <laughs> one of I my love favorites. That I love that quote. You know, and that was me as a churchgoer for so many years. I knew a lot, but the problem was that much of it just wasn't so. Yeah, and we just didn't know. Did <laughs> exactly. We? So today we're we're not going to talk about the pagan origins of Christmas. We've already done that some, and we'll probably cover it again another time. But we do want to take advantage of the season to talk about something that is. So, it is very true. Something we sing about every year at this time, the government shall be upon his shoulders. You know, audience, I know if you've been listening to us for a while, you've heard us in our last few podcasts talking about the gospel message as expressed in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, Mm. thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now we talked about kings and kingdoms and how kingdoms operate. So listen to our podcast if you haven't heard it or you want to review it a little bit. You can listen to a different gospel and the podcast called Thy Kingdom Come uh, if you haven't done so already and just kind of get a good foundation for kingdoms. You know, it was a kingdom on earth that God offered to Adam and Eve, right, Gary? That's correct. I mean, that's what they. I mean, that, that's where the garden was, exactly. right? Exactly, and it was only the the, the 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 thing that they had to do was submit to to God as their king. Mm-hmm. Now we all know what happened in that story. 
okay? But no matter what, God still intends to establish his kingdom on earth, just like he did, okay, back in Genesis. And he's going to establish it with Yeshua as the king. This plan it, hasn't changed. It hasn't changed. That's not, right. Not from the beginning. You know, so God just had to work with what he had, which is always disobedient, stubborn people. <laughs> and he's going to work out his plan through world history. That's what he's always done. It's what he's always done. And it had to, like you said, work with a, a, fa- a flawed people and make Because it's way. all he's got. It's all he's got. He ma- well, you know, he made us with freedom of choice. And because of that, we often choose poorly. And- but, you know, our choices or poor choices don't ever change what God's goals and plans and purposes That's are. That's the key. That's the key. You know, you're, you're hitting on something so, so profound is that, you know, he, he made the plan, he put it into motion and, you know, we can, some people get all confused with the idea of predestination. Well, there's certain things that he is going to accomplish, but it's up to us to choose to be a part of his will on earth as it is. In and heaven. he will accomplish it. Absolutely. You know? and, and he'll do it with us or without us. That's, that's right. That's that reminds difference. me of that as the Esther story. Yes. Uh, you know, that you perhaps you're put here for such a time as this. But if if you're not going to work with God, he will find someone right. else. If you remain silent, silent, or in other words, if you do nothing, he'll find relief and deliverance will come from another source. That's right. And and that's that's what would happen. You We have opportunity and we, we, we often talk about partnering with God. This is how we do it, by, by aligning ourselves with his will. You know, and we've been talking uh, recently quite a bit about this concept of kingdoms, right? right? right. And, and so when I was thinking about this as a podcast, I actually listened to recently um, the Hallelujah Chorus uh-huh. of Handel's Messiah. Yeah. And I hear that because it always... It's always been powerful to me that that phrase, that verse from Isaiah, and that idea about the government being on his shoulder, yeah. especially the word government, because yeah. we don't often associate Bible and government together. Right. Well, he says the kingdoms of this earth right. shall be the kingdoms of our Lord. So, I mean, that that should be the dead giveaway that it's not, you know, let's whisk you off into a heavenly realm and we'll set up a kingdom. No, we're going to bring the kingdom of God back to the earth. Exactly. Yeah. And in fact, you know, um, we we talk about a king and obviously a kingdom has to have a king. And just if we look at uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 17, we see this promise. You know, Kathy, we did an entire episode or maybe more than one regarding the the, uh, covenants. And one of those covenants is the, the Davidic covenant. God promised through the line of David, the line of Judah, um, you know, that there would be a king forever. And so let me just read First Chronicles 17, starting in verse 11. God's speaking uh, to, to, to David. Um, here it says, and it shall be when your days are fulfilled, when you must go to, to be with your fathers, that I will set up your seed after you, who will be of your sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build me a house, and I and I will establish his throne forever. Now, let me pause there for a moment. Now, we know Solomon built a temple, and often some say, well, that house was the temple, and this ended with Solomon. No, a house is also descendants. A house is your people, because it goes on from there. And yes, you could have this uh, partly fulfilled with Solomon, but then we know it goes south from there. Because then he goes on and says... I will be his father, and he shall be my son. I will not I will not take my mercy away from him as I took it from him who was before you, speaking of Saul. And he says, I will establish him in my house and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever. And that word there again in Hebrew is olam. We know that's eternal, that is for, you know, without end. So here's the promise that God makes that there would be a king on his throne on the earth in this in the line of David. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so with that said, we get a better understanding of what it means to be Messiah. And so let's talk about this term messianism for a moment, Kathy. Um, it's the belief in a Messiah coming to deliver the Jews, restore Israel, and rule 
righteously from Jerusalem. And that's key. When we, when we talk about a king and we talk about a kingdom, we're talking about a righteous rule. Well, you know, even all three parts of what you just said matter. Deliver the Jews, yes. restore Israel, yes. and rule righteously. All exactly. three parts of that are okay. important. All right, so let's do a little quiz. Where are the Jews today? In, in Israel, in Jerusalem, on the earth, right? That's right. So where was Israel restored? On the earth. So where's this righteous king going to, <laughs> to rule from Jerusalem? On the earth. So in, in essence, the Bible promises a future theocracy with Yeshua as the righteous king. The prophet Isaiah foretold of this kingdom in Isaiah 2. And it says, In the last days... The mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Notice it says the nations shall stream to it. I mean, where are the nations? On the, on the earth. Many people will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law, or in the Hebrew, the Torah, will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord, from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations, and he will settle disputes for many peoples. Now, you know, this a passage about uh, they shall uh, break their swords into plowshares is used, this is the same chapter, mm -hmm. is used for the United Nations. That's man's attempt to think that they will somehow bring this messianic age into play. You know, man trying to do, uh, replace God, and the United Nations has been doing a really poor, poor job, job of, of that. Of we that. never do a good job at God's work. No, no. So, so Kathy, the Torah will be the law of the land, right? Well, that's what it says, that's, right? That's what the word that's of God the Hebrew says. word right there, right? Yeah, it's Torah, yeah. The the law, the word that we sadly uh, put this negative connotation on in Christianity, the law, is the word Torah. And so God's instructions will be the law of the land. You know, this is one of the things that Paul says that set the Jewish people apart. In Romans, 11, uh, Romans 3, verse 2, he says, It was unto them it was committed the oracles of God. So it's the Jewish people who preserved the Torah, the Word of God, the, the, the same Torah that will be used to, to you know, rule the earth with is the same Torah that the, that the Jewish people brought to us, that preserved for us. So you don't think that perhaps it's been done away with and then it's going to come back? Or do you think that it's never been done away it's, with? I don't believe it's ever been done away with, as we That was such know. an easy I question. Know. That was a softball question. Sure, right? sure. That was a very sarcastic one, I think, because we know, you know, that's what this program is about. I mean, the, the Torah was delivered to the Jewish people at Sinai, and it's the universal code of conduct, conduct for all of mankind. And the Jews were the vehicle to deliver it to the world. Simple as that. It's it always seems so simple to us, on you know, but it's not so it's simple not to so the simple. world. I know. And as we discussed in our other podcast about the kingdom of God, is that it's good news. Mm -hmm. It's the good news. The gospel of the kingdom of God was the promised Savior and Messiah. And it's ultimately going to, he is going to assume the reins of the world government and introduce an eternal theocracy. Now, there's a challenging Ooh, word, right, Kathy? Theocracy. <laughs> theocracy. Ah, you're going to freak everybody out. Oh, it does. This, this idea is already presenting itself. Kathy, I just heard it this week where the left is freaking out over the fact that Mike Johnson, the new Speaker of the House, they know he's a Christian. So they're freaking out and saying, oh, he's going to try to make one, one religion, you know, the, the, the government religion, that Christianity is going to be the state religion. Well, we know our Constitution prevents that. Right. We're not going to have that in, in, our light, uh, in, a, in this age. Right, in this in, age in the run States, by, yes. Because the, the Constitution does not permit that. But it will come, and it will, it's waiting on the righteous king. It, it cannot work. Without a righteous king, right? Theocracy well, and, and will we fail. Know, and and we've seen that over and over, over and, and over throughout human history. What is Islam trying to do? Exact That's same thing. That's what they want. Exact but they don't same have thing. The righteous king. Exact same thing. Yeah. You know, the other critical part about the good news of the gospel is that Yeshua offers those 
who will follow him, those who will do his will, the right to rule and reign with him. Now, this is pretty cool, okay? So that's why the apostle John wrote in the book of Revelation, to him, this is, um, to him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give the authority over the nations. Hmm. He will rule with, the, with an iron scepter. He will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I received authority from my father. Now, Yeshua got that actually from Isaiah 30, 14. Okay. Right. He was quoting from uh, Isaiah. But this idea that those who do his will, okay, the will of God, will be given the same authority. Yeshua is going to give them that authority, okay? And that they will have authority over the nations. Mm. That's an interesting concept. Now, um, Revelation 5, 9 and 10, speaking about Yeshua, it says, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men from God for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Now, where did John get this idea of a kingdom of priests? He got it straight from Exodus, That's Torah right. 19. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you're to speak to the Israelites. So here, this concept of kingdom goes all the way back to the, the to Torah, Right. And Yeshua is quoting it. John's quoting it. They're all they all know this idea of a kingdom and those who do God's will reigning with the king. That's right. Kathy, I mean, it's so clear again when we don't take scripture out of context, when we don't cherry pick and just choose a scripture here and a scripture there. If we look at the entirety of the word of God, we see that this has been God's desire from the beginning. Exactly. And and man is the one that keeps failing him. So again, you know, he had to send his own son. But, you know, here here we have the 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 perfect uh state of what Israel was supposed to be. You know, Yeshurun, the upright, Yasher, the upright ones, the ones that would would show the world what it meant to be a child of God. And yet they failed. Uh, you know, we know after the golden calf incident, they lost this ability to all be priests Priest. as a nation. Yes. And, and the Levitical priesthood began. But uh, it's been mankind, his people that have let him down, not his plan. I mean, the idea of God's kingdom ruled by Israel's Messiah would be on the earth was basically, you know, given for the apostles and all the followers of Yeshua. To, uh, I mean, they, they knew this. Remember, after Yeshua had risen from the grave, he stayed with his disciples for 40 days. And just before he ascended into heaven, they asked him that very pressing question, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of heaven? How did Yeshua answer him, Kathy? He says, it's not for you to know the time or dates the Father has set by his own authority. He didn't chastise him. He didn't That's say, right. you, you foolish disciples. Right. You'd have got it wrong. He just said, it's not for you to know. Right. That was the difference. And, you know, historically, most Bible commentators have always treated this question by the disciples in the very same way. They all expressed dismay that these hard-headed followers of Jesus still don't get it. You know, they still they stay doggedly focused on the nationalistic restoration of Israel. Couldn't they just see that Jesus' kingdom was a spiritual one, not a physical one? Couldn't they just, I mean, that's the arrogance. That's the, the attitude that they have. When, in fact, the disciples, they they walked with him. They, 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 he taught them. He, he shared these truths with them. So their question was perfectly right. legitimate. When are you going to restore this kingdom to Israel? So when's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? You know, you, you we know it's all, going to yeah. happen. Is this now? You told us all about it. When's it going to happen? And that's, that's what the question was. And it just wasn't their time to know. You know, John Bright, uh, whose comments are very, very typical, as we know, wrote the book, The Kingdom of God. And this is, this is what he has to say. The messianic hope of Israel was thus grimly tied to the line of David, to Jerusalem and the temple. 
It helped further the delusion that though Judah might be decimated, Jerusalem and the Davidic state would never be destroyed. Grimly tied? Grimly tied. tied. What what is that? To the line of David? What is that? Grimly tied to the line of David? And a delusion? I mean, I just read from 1 Chronicles where God says it. To Dave, this is a promise forever. I mean, I mean, it's Nathan, you know, speaking to to uh, David through, you know, God is speaking to David through Nathan. But you know, David answers, "Oh Lord, oh Yehovah," he would say, "The word that which you have spoken concerning your servant, your servant, and concerning his house, it will be established forever, and and do as you have said." He, David understood it, and all, every, every disciple, every person since that time has been looking for a Messiah in the line of David. Except for the modern church. Except for the modern church. Oh my gosh. I mean, Bright concluded that the disciples were demanding of him things that were not in his nature to deliver. Oh my gosh, it was his mission. I mean, does this mean that it wasn't Yeshua's nature to deliver what his father promised? <laughs> I, I find that statement, that that question, not in his nature to deliver. That was his purpose to it deliver, was his purpose. To, yes. to do God's will on earth. What is he talking about? It, it, it means we're creating a Jesus that has no connection to his Father and to his people. We've created a Jesus who who didn't he didn't understand his mission. Apparently, apparently. I mean, obviously, it's clear by the Word of God that what Yeshua did was exactly what the Father sent him to do. You know, basically, it looks like these commentators, you know, Gary, and I looked at all those commentaries, like on Bible Hub, I do that uh-huh. a lot. Sure. And so it has a lot of the uh, ones that, you know, are the most go-to commentators, you know, uh-huh. about it. And that was the most common theme, the absolute most common thing. So, you know, the commentators saw the idea of a restored Israel physically in the Middle East. It was a Jewish idea, not a Christian one. There's my air quotes. Yeah. And that's by defini- definition wrong. Wow. Just totally disregard. The, totally. The you know, so you can even look back at John Calvin because he commented on this, too. And he said, there are more errors in the question. That means the disciples question of Acts 1, 6. than there are words. Wow. Oh, wow. He said their blindness is remarkable that they had been so fully and carefully instructed over a period of three years that they portrayed no less ignorance than if they had never heard a word. So basically, Calvin was upset that the disciples had not given up their Jewish messianic ideas for superior Christian ideas. Oh, my God. I mean, don't you think Yeshua at this point would have said, guys, I've spent all this time with you and you still don't get it? He didn't say that. He just said it's not the time Time. yet and not, not for you to know. You know, so you have to think, you know, of the arrogance necessary to come to this kind of conclusions. You're right. The disciples had just spent three years, Mm -hmm. okay, walking with Jesus, okay, constant contact with with Yeshua. They'd heard him preach and teach about the gospel how many times, right? Right. They themselves had been sent out to preach the same gospel because Luke 9, 2 says, and he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So did Jesus not know that their ideas about the kingdom were wrong, according to these commentators? Were they teaching lies? Right. Let's look at the timeline. This is at the end. He's about to ascend to his father. That's right. So he had sent them out teaching this all this time. What Don't you think he would have corrected them during that time? And, you know, in Matthew 13, 5 actually says that Jesus kind of congratulates them for their special understanding of That's the right. mysteries of the kingdom, where it says uh, the disciples came to him and asked, why? do you speak to the people in parables said and he replied because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you but not to Mm. them so he's telling the disciples you understand the kingdom not everybody understands it but you guys do you know so and think about this after his resurrection, he spends 40 days in base they spend 40 days in this intensive class about the kingdom so 
Did they fail the final exam? Is that what happened? <laughs> That's what sure? the commentators are saying. Yeah, was he that bad a teacher? Would, he must have been. He I mean, must have been. He could not communicate to these guys that were right with him the yeah. whole time for three years. Yeah. And, he, and it says clearly, he explains them. He, exp- he, he talks to them about all the things that were written by in the Torah and of the prophets about the kingdom. I, I find it, I've, I just find this amazing. You know, some commentators, as I was reading it, go so far as to say that Jesus rebuked them for even asking the question. But what? we just read it. There's no review. There's no review. It did not. He just said, you just can't know the time, guys. Right. That's it. He didn't say, you guys are totally wrong about this. You know, prior to Yeshua's death, the disciples held out great hope that Yeshua was going to overthrow Rome and restore the kingdom to Israel right then. Okay. Right. That's what they thought. That's why they asked that question. Sure. Right. Are you going to restore it to Israel now? When he died, they were confused. Okay. They mm-hmm. certainly had lost all hope for three days, right. you know, but when he rose again, their hope was obviously restored, which is why they asked that question. What they couldn't understand at first was that God's plan for the restoration of Israel included a very long unspecified length of time of Yeshua sitting at the right hand of the father before he returned to establish his kingdom. So they didn't get that time frame, and of course they didn't. Of you know, course not. They, could, they didn't understand there'd be over 2,000 years Right, plus. we have retrospect. They exactly, did not. they didn't mm-hmm. have it. But, you know, they did get it later because Peter, in Acts 3.21, proved he did understand that, that unspecified waiting time. Now, this is one of our favorite verses mm-hmm. from that, that famous Shavuot Pentecost experience. Right. And Peter stands up and he says, Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus the Christ appointed to you whom heaven must receive until the time of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient times. So now Peter was starting to understand that there was going to be a bit of a wait here, that it wasn't happening right then, which is what they thought first. Yeah, now he's talking about the restoration process. And that Jesus has to wait in heaven, basically. That's interesting that... He did get that at that point. It, it is interesting. And I he mean, didn't know how long it was going to be. No, he just knew by he? Yeshua's answer, you're not going to know. So yeah. he's like, well, it could be 10 days. It could be 10 years. It could be 10,000 years. I don't know. You know? Exactly. <laughs> he didn't know. And, and, you know, as we know, a day is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day. You know, for God, time is not the same uh, issue that it is for us. And we, again, you know, 2,000 years and waiting we we look back on it and we can see this restoration process taking hold. I mean, we've 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 have the privilege of knowing that Israel has been has become a nation again. We know that Jerusalem has been unified again. We know that the Jewish people are still coming back to the land. So we're watching the restoration process. I'm quite privileged. Quite I would privileged. Say. Yes. It. Peter didn't have that, but he knew that there was a process that had to happen. You know, so, so Kathy, why does the church not teach about this all-important concept of the kingdom on earth? But instead, it teaches about believers are, gonna, are, are, not, are going to the kingdom of heaven. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're going, believers are going to heaven and right. not a kingdom on earth. That's you know, right. That's, you know, according to um, the author Anthony Buzzard, who wrote Our Fathers Who Aren't in Heaven, <laughs> which is an interesting title, title. <laughs> he says this. The problem lies, namely, in the church's abandonment of the Hebrew vision of a restored paradise on earth, consequent upon the return of Jesus to assume his royal office. The cause of this shift away from Jesus and the messianic message occurred when the Greek and Roman mind came to dominate the church. Wow, we've talked about that a lot. Yes, we have. Okay, in a quote from the book called In the End, God, the author speaks this. Listen to this. The remarkable transformation that overtook Christian eschatology almost as soon as the ink of the New Testament was dry, Mm -hmm. and it affects the center of interest or pivotal point of the entire subject. For the New Testament, the point around which hope and interest revolve is not the moment of Christ's death at all, 
but the day of the parousia, or the appearance of Christ in his glory and his kingdom. The center of interest and the expectation continued right through the New Testament period to be focused upon the day, the Son of Man, and the triumph of his kingdom in a renovated earth. It was the reign of the Lord Jesus with with all of his saints that engaged the thoughts and prayers of Christians. The hope was social and it was historical. But as early as the second century AD, there began a shift in the center of gravity, which was to lead by was to lead by the Middle Ages to a very different doctrine. It later, in later thought, it is the hour of death which becomes decisive. Let me let's summarize that. They missed the whole point. The the early believers, we'll call them the church, mm-hmm. but the early believers like we've been saying, Kathy, all thought that they, that moment that we're waiting for is his return so that he would restore the kingdom to the earth. And then within a very short time, really, relatively speaking, but definitely by, by the second century AD, all of a sudden the focus went to, we're going to get out of here and go to heaven. Instead of a restored kingdom on earth, we're going to take ourselves to a some spiritual place rather than uh, here, restu- you know, the, the, the earth restored the way God would have it restored. It reminds me of our discussion when we were talking about uh, Copernicus and the Jews, where, where yeah. they have their center was wrong, the church was wrong. Mm-hmm. So now they have moved the center to heaven rather than keeping the center where the Bible keeps it, which is the focus on earth from the yeah. very beginning, from the establishment of the garden, okay, on earth, the Garden of Eden. It, that center has been there. That where that's where God is establishing His kingdom. Amen. So it was a. They definitely. We talk about paradigm shift. Shifted away from this biblical concept into this created doctrinal concept of you know that they had. Yeah. You so know. Kathy, we're not you know when we we talk about paradigm shift, we're not creating something new to to shift to. We're we're talking about returning. Our paradigm shift is having to return because these the, the fathers, the so-called church fathers, shifted away from the center. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, the root of the problem is that the church with its, from the beginning, it, not very, very beginning, but, but, but by after. the second century, okay, yeah. had this anti-Jewish bias. And because of that, they began to spiritualize the Bible. The kingdom became not a kingdom based in Israel, you know, physical Israel run by a Jewish Messiah, but a spiritual kingdom, a heavenly kingdom run by this heavenly king who wasn't particularly Jewish or anything, right? Mm-hmm. They, they, they removed all of that Jewishness. They really did, yeah. You know? Changed so, him. you know, when they move away, when you move away from biblical truth, everyone just tries to fill in the gaps. Jesus and his disciples clearly emphasize a coming kingdom. But when you ignore the overwhelming evidence that the kingdom is based in Israel, you get a fragmented church which with as many doctrines about kingdom as there are denominations, which yeah. is a lot. Is a, yeah, was it 40,000, I think we yes. said, those denominations? It's because, like you said, now you've got to try to create a religion. You have to you've... explain all of these verses about kingdoms somehow. Yeah. You know, yeah. if they're not going to be what the Bible says they are, they have to be something. You explain them away, and then nobody can agree on what they mean. That's right. So you have to start a new church, right? <laughs> exactly. So so we have chaos when it comes to understanding the kingdom of, of God. We have to go back to how Jesus understood it and how he taught it. And at first, we have to restore the land promise given Mm -hmm. back to Abraham and his descendants, because the land promise, folks, is really central to the kingdom message. That seems to Christians, you know, with our efforts to spiritualize, that just doesn't seem as, as spiritual, you know, dirt. Come on. <laughs> yeah, it's pro- yeah, I've heard I've heard it said Kathy, God doesn't care about real estate. 
Oh, he cares a lot he cares about a real lot. estate. I mean, he says, "I'm zealous for Zion," and I mean, and and obviously, and you know, the Genesis you, promise. Right? That you're about you know, to we've read. said multiple times. I think our last three or four podcasts, Gary, we've talked about the promise of Genesis seventeen seven and eight. Right. I'll establish my covenant between me and you. This is to Abraham and your descendants after you, everlasting covenant. Yep. Okay, Olam, to be God to you and your descendants, and I give to you and your descendants the land in which you're a stranger all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So he's not saying, I'm giving to you a heavenly kingdom, some kind of spiritual kingdom. He's saying, I'm giving to you land, dirt, Okay, that's right. That's what the apostles understood. Yeah, you know, and rightly so. It's an actual physical piece of property. It's always been a central part of the promised kingdom, and we see it in the Torah. We just read from Torah Genesis, yes. right? Okay, and we see it in the prophets, and we see it in the writings. This physicalness of this promise. Absolutely, over and over and over again. That the problem is, Kathy, we don't want to read the Bible as a practical book. We want to read it as some spiritual book. It, God is so practical, and the land is part of that, this, this intrinsic connection between God, His people, and the land, so that He can reestablish His kingdom on earth, just as He had that relationship with Adam and Eve in the garden, on earth, on land. I mean, for crying out loud, He formed man out of the ground, Right? right out of dirt. Right, right out of dirt. So obviously it means something to God more more than, than what we would probably think. I mean, let's let's talk about this work that I'm involved in in getting people back to the land because there's nothing more practical. You know, I often uh, say it doesn't look like a miracle because we schlep bags, we do paperwork, we uh, drive people to the airport or to their consulate visits. You're it's, like a travel agency. It's, <laughs> it's so practical. It doesn't look like the miracle that people expect that, you know, the exodus, you know, the parting of the Red Sea and, you know, all the all the, the 10 plagues and all this type of thing. Today, God is doing it in such practical ways, and he makes it clear that he will do it through his people. He will do it through the Gentiles. In fact, uh, Isaiah 49, 22 calls to the Gentiles and says, you nations, you will carry them in your arms. And, and, on and your you're shoulders. not carrying them to heaven, right? We're not carrying them to I heaven. I hope not. <laughs> no, it's a, that's a big lift. Yes, exactly. You know? So no, yes, we're helping them get back to the land of Israel. And you know, Kathy, there's something in the Bible that God says he's doing with all his heart. You know what that is? It's bringing his people back to the land. Jeremiah 32, 41. He says, I will do this with all of my heart. And so when we want to align, we talk about aligning our, our will, our hearts with God. This is what he wants to do. And there are there's so many prophecies. You alluded to the fact that the prophets all talk about this. I'm going to just give you a quick, quick summary because it would take We us, would be here all we'd day. We'd be here for, for a long them. time. Um, Jeremiah 16, 14 and 15. God's reputation changing from the God who brought them from Egypt to the God who brings them back to the land of the north and all the nations. I love that one. Yeah, me too, because it talks about our time. And Jeremiah 31, 8, he'll bring them from the, from the north and from the ends of the earth, a great throng. And he talks about the woman with child and, and, the, and you know, the lame. We... We've witnessed this. Yes. We witnessed this. You know, the women with child coming back. We saw it on the on the throng of people that came from Ethiopia. More more people landed than took off. That's right. Because the there was born. physical birth yeah. on the plane, yeah. right? And I mean, Isaiah 11, 11, I'll bring you back a second time. We know there's no third regathering in all, all, all of scripture. Um, Amos 9, 15 says, I'll plant you in the land never to pluck you up again. I mean, promise after promise. I love, and I love the promise of Ezekiel 13. 36, where he, God says, you know, you'll, you'll, you're in the nations, you know, my name's being defamed. And so I'm going to bring you back for my holy namesake. I'm going to put you in the land and then I'm going to sprinkle clean water on me. I'm going to put a new heart in you. Uh, I mean, so there's a, there's a, a restoration of them back to the land. And then there's a restoration of their relationship back to himself. I mean, these are beautiful promises. And, and being fulfilled very practically 
very, very here on earth, right now, and, right here, and right each one of us, us having the opportunity and the uh, invitation to participate in it if we'd like. Absolutely. Yeah, like I said, we're not helping people get to heaven. We're helping people get back right, to Israel and right the land, the physical the land. land. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> you know. You know. So. Almost every prophet talks about it, right? uh, Yes. You can find it in the major prophets, the minor prophets, they all talk about that. You know, you can find it in the writings. First, we started off and we were talking about finding it in Genesis. I mean, in the Torah. Then we talked about it in the prophets. Even in the writings, if you look at Psalm 37, it's beautiful. And it promises the faithful that they will dwell in the land. So it says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. For evil men will be cut off, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy great peace. Those the Lord blesses will inherit the land. Mm -hmm. Those he curses will be cut off from the land. That's right. Right? The righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it, dwell in it forever. Now, if this sounds familiar, folks, this is... Exactly what Yeshua was talking to, talking about in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are the meek. They shall have the earth or the land as their inheritance. Right. Yeah, that's what he was talking about. It doesn't about. say, blessed are those who, who love me and they're going to whisk the off way, into it heaven. It doesn't, you know. Um, and of course, you know, we find talk about God's kingdom on earth all over the Newer Testament, right? right. So if you read um, from Matthew five thirty four. But I tell you not to swear at all, either by heaven for it's God's throne or by earth for it's his footstool or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Amen. You know, so lately we've heard a lot of people say, well, why is Israel or Jerusalem so important? Why is it more important than anything else? And one answer is, well, because it is the city of the great king. Okay. You better take it up with the creator of the universe. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. goodness. You know, at the Last Supper, Kathy, Yeshua said this. He said, you are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer to you a kingdom, just as my Father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. I mean, (laughs) you know, again, you have to spiritualize that away. Yeah, what are we eating and drinking, or what are we... (laughs) You know, you have to do spiritual contortions in order to spiritualize that away from meaning that, you know, the kingdom is on earth, we're eating and drinking just as we do today. Right, exactly. Just like Yeshua did after his resurrection, and he came back to earth, okay? To show that. And he was eating and drinking there, and he was on earth. I love that. That's good. The disciples believed it. And, and then they believed that they would receive a kingdom in which they would rule the 12 tribes of Israel. That's quite a promise. It is. You're like, wow, no wonder they were interested in they, that. They were so privileged. You know, we talk about the privilege of being able to see all this in retrospect. But can you imagine the privilege of being there when the king who, you know, we're waiting for him to come back. They sat and broke bread with him. And, and think once again what they were experiencing in context, they were uh, oppressed by Rome, okay? They were oppressed by Rome. Um, They were not in charge, you know? Nothing about Israel was in charge at that time, and so they were super excited about the idea that this restoration might occur. Now, they, oh, yeah. once again, they had the timing wrong, as we always do, yeah. right? Often. And But they, they understood that they would be in charge too. Yeah. that That's cool. It is really cool. You know, I'm t- trying to think in practical terms to, for, for our audience, you know, what's going on today. Uh, let's say you're a Jewish person in Ukraine over the last couple of years. And the idea of leaving that that oppression and that war zone. Now, of course, I know Israel's at war today, but there is no better, safer place for them than in Israel. So that practical idea of leaving, being delivered from those circumstances and going to Israel is this is kind of a similar situation. It's real practical. Yes. The, the disciples were looking at re- deliverance from Rome. They weren't thinking about being whisked to heaven. They just wanted the, the boot off their neck from Rome. 
And, you know, we have that same boot on the neck of Jewish people over the course of history. It was, it was the Nazis. It was the Crusaders. It was the, the Russian pogroms. It was one thing or another. And they were always looking for deliverance from that. Today, Israel is being attacked and of course, they're looking for deliverance from that. They're counting on their IDF at the moment. But one day, the Messiah, the King, Yeshua, is going to come and deliver them from their enemies. This is how practical it is. Mm-hmm. Putting it in that context, doesn't it make sense? You know, we're witnessing it today. Do they need deliverance from their enemies? Yes. Yes. Yes, absolutely. They need do. physical deliverance right here yes. in the land Yes. They need it right now. You know, Kathy, while we're at it, because a lot of the problem comes from this this misunderstanding of what Yeshua's mission. We just, we talked about that. And we did an entire episode regarding the idea of Matthew 5, 17, verse 20. Remember, we talked about, you know, the reading of, I uh, I do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Remember, we talked about this and we said, what we're reading that as is, I have not come to abolish the prophets, but I have come to abolish them. Right. That's how the Torah and the prophets, yeah, well, yeah, the Torah and the prophets. The but I've come to to abolish it because because <laughs> you know again. Listen, to I, what, I'm just laughing because I'm just that's how you have that's, to read it. That's the way you have to read this. Let me read it again. <laughs> do not. This is Yeshua's words. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And when we read it any other way, then he's coming to, to demonstrate that and fulfill what God has, has uh, you know, tasked him to do. We're reading it the wrong way and saying, I've not come to abolish it, but I've come to abolish it. So verse 18, I tell you truly, until heaven and earth pass away, not a single jot, not a stroke of a pen will disappear from the Torah or the law, until everything is accomplished. Now, we've not seen everything accomplished yet, have we? No, we, he, we haven't. We were just reading some of those verses about the restoration that aren't accomplished ongoing. It's ongoing. It's ongoing. So the Torah obviously is still in play. Mm-hmm. So then, verse 19, So then whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do likewise will be called the least of the kingdom in that uh, least in the kingdom of heaven but whoever practices and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven for i tell you that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and pharisees you will never enter the kingdom of heaven okay you know here kathy i you know i I've, I've taught this from the pulpit and i remember getting up one morning and coming in and teaching about the kingdom of heaven, this reading this passage and saying, I did not get up this morning and desire to be the least in the kingdom of heaven. I mean, and so what my desire was to continue teaching the Torah and teaching to keep the commandments, do it and likewise teach it. That's what we're instructed to do. I guess some people would settle for being the least in the kingdom as if they're in. And I guess there are groups of people that would do it, but they're... Um, they just have to understand that, you know, you would, <laughs> there is a greatest and the least, right? You yeah, know? there's greatest and the least. But then why would you even take the chance here? It says, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter. enter the kingdom I mean, of that's why whoa. would you want to risk that by just I want to I want to just get by. Barely I wanna, get in. <laughs> yeah. I, how many people have you heard say that? You yes, know, as long as I'm in, you know, I just I just want to get in, you know, exactly. And that's that whole salvation message where, you know, you just got to avoid hell. Right. And I think by this message of avoiding hell, we're missing the point of what it means to live on this earth. Do the will of God while you have the opportunity. It's sad. It really is. I mean, we talked earlier about how the law of the land of of God's kingdom is the Torah. I remember Isaiah chapter two. If he's going to run a government from Jerusalem with Torah as the law of the land, why would he assign leadership positions to anybody who doesn't even keep the law? What, what, well, that what, wouldn't make any sense. No, it wouldn't. Well, I mean, what, what, 
we want if we want to be we want to be obedient to him do his will and be rewarded for that then keep his torah keep his instruction once again seems pretty simple but um when other kinds of men's doctrines and traditions get in the way it really confuses and muddies the water you know, I'm going to try to bring this to a conclusion. We started this podcast by talking about Isaiah 9:5, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. I could sing that for you, but probably I shouldn't, right? <laughs> Don't ask me. In our world today, our governments are on the shoulders of mere men, many times wicked, evil men and women, I'll add. Throughout the ages, these mere men have labored to create great kingdoms, But each of these kingdoms was destined for destruction from without or from within. In the end of days, our Bibles tell us that there will be a worldwide kingdom established by men and governed by the Antichrist. We all understand that this kingdom will be here on earth. Are we experiencing the establishment of this kingdom or this government now? with worldwide control of information, worldwide control of our money, even with AI controlling our thoughts, so to speak. The Bible tells us that many people will submit to the global government of the Antichrist, but not everyone. There will be those who submit to another king of another kingdom, King Yeshua. Revelation 2.26 says, He who overcomes and he who does my will until the end to him i will give authority over the nations he who does my will that's key that's key this is what yeshua was referring to when he asked us to pray thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven there's that will what is his will are we doing his will on earth now and will we continue to do it as time gets tougher you know gary it's easier to do when times aren't tough it gets harder as things get tougher. As, That's as, a great point. Yeah, and I so mean, we need to be practicing doing his will yeah. now, submitting to his will, the will of the king now. Amen. You know, Kathy, again, that's so practical. You know, to use a sports analogy, it's like creating muscle memory. When you when you 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 create muscle memory by doing 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 in practice, so that when you get into the real game, your body does what you want it to do. Right? Same thing. If if things are easy now, practice, 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 and when things get tough, when the real game starts, you'll do what you're supposed to do. You know the. Um The Apostle John, he was writing about the king, King Yeshua, and he said, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Reign on the earth. Well, we see two things. We see kingdom and priests, Mm -hmm. and then we see reign on the earth. This is exactly what the disciples were asking about when they asked Yeshua if it was at this time that he would restore the kingdom to Israel. This was what they were talking about and looking forward to. You know, it didn't happen then, but we can rest assured knowing it will happen in the future. And at that time, the government will be upon Yeshua's shoulders. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. Please join us next time on Torah Talk.